Hi everyone, Michael Howie here. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to thank everyone for signing up to receive the Defender Radio updates via email and announce that Jennifer S. from Seashell, British Columbia won the Lush Cosmetics giveaway. You can sign up to get updates and also find out about awesome contests by visiting thefurbears.com updates and opting in to receive the Fur Bears weekly e-newsletter as well as Defender Radio updates. You can also connect with me on Facebook or Twitter at Defender Radio or on Instagram at Howie Michael to find out what I'm up to and learn about other contests and upcoming interviews. It's also a fast and easy way to support the show. This week's episode is supported by the Hardy Hooligan. This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of October 2nd, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 448 of Defender Radio. I'm feeling tired. Between my own battle with a media organization on how they present conflicts, an ongoing social media argument about coyotes in a specific neighborhood, and the seemingly endless stream of terror attacks, natural disasters, and headlines involving Donald Trump, I really feel tired. And I know exactly why. I'm starting to get burned out. I have generalized anxiety disorder, a mental health condition I was diagnosed with nearly 20 years ago, and I've received multiple types of treatment for it. I'm doing relatively well with it, between medication, healthy choices, and a recent group therapy program. I'm relatively open about this part of my life, because I believe it matters for others who are struggling or living with mental health challenges to hear that they aren't alone, and that treatment is not only possible, but can really help. And with all that has happened in recent weeks, and how I'm feeling myself, I thought it was time to use the show to address burnout, or compassion fatigue, with someone in the mental health field who I trust implicitly. My wife, Kate. Kate is a concurrent disorders outreach specialist for a health network in southern Ontario, has an extensive background in counselling on issues like addiction, and an education in sociology and social work. She sat down with Defender Radio to talk about recognizing burnout in ourselves and others, learning the first steps we can take to prevent burnout, and how we can ask for help. Please note that this episode and show cannot and should not replace the advice of a medical professional. If you are feeling overwhelmed or in need of help, please contact your family doctor. If you feel that you may hurt yourself, others, or having any suicidal thoughts, please contact suicideprevention.ca in Canada or suicideprevention.lifeline.org in the United States to find a crisis line or visit a nearby hospital. Before we hear our interview today, I have a quick message about this week's episode supporter. When I'm looking for a meal that satisfies my hunger and my ethics, I head to the Hardy Hooligan here in Hamilton. They have incredible vegan versions of egg salad, chicken salad, and tuna salad daily, as well as savory pies, including my favorite shepherd's pie pasty. They have amazing desserts and even locally roasted coffee in biodegradable cups. The Hardy Hooligan is definitely food worth rioting for. Check them out at 368 Main West in Hamilton, right by Lock Street, or find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at thehardyhooligan.com. 
What is burnout? How do we define it for people when we talk about this subject? So I think that we can talk a lot about, you know, the elements that define it and how to look for it and what does it look like? What does it feel like? Um, But in terms of an actual definition, I did have to kind of look this one up. So looking at um, just how to sort of sum it up, right, in a way that is sort of easy and palatable. So one that I found that I thought was pretty good was burnout is a state of chronic stress that leads to physical and emotional exhaustion, cynicism and detachment and feelings of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. So I think that kind of sums it up, like just sort of being in a state of feeling like what you want to do, you're not able to do, or you're not making any progress, you're not, you know, you're not getting to the goals that you wanted to get to. And how is that different from, and I I wrote down depression and anxiety. I don't think there's a lot of similarities with anxiety there, but it feels like there's crossover into the realm of depression, uh, which is, you know, there are various types of depression, but is it different in any significant way? Yes. I mean, I would say that it absolutely is different. I mean, depression is, you know, a mental illness caused by an imbalance of chemicals in the brain, um, whereas, you know, burnout and sort of caregiver stress or compassion fatigue or um, all of the titles that burnout kind of comes under is more of a situational feeling and more of a situational way of being, I guess, is a good way to put it. So, um, so I guess, you know, I mean, the different forms of depression can sort of be treated chemically um, and pharmacologically as is appropriate, um, as well as, you know, behavioral interventions. However, you know, I would say, you know, caregiver stress, burnout, compassion fatigue is something that is much more situational and is much more, um, much more reliant on those behavioral tactics. But that's not to say that they're mutually exclusive. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think, you know, I mean, it's something that you could be, you sort of have that trigger stacking, right? Like you can be, um, you can have a diagnosis of depression that is well managed, but if you tack burnout or caregiver stress or compassion fatigue on top of that, um, then you're no longer managing well. So, you know, I mean, it's something that they can absolutely play into each other, I'd say more than, you know, necessarily not being mutually exclusive. It's they can really like play off of each other and sort of exacerbate, you know, feelings of despair and feelings of sadness and all of that. I feel that's probably accurate too. And I talk about my anxiety and that's, you know, the, the situation I'm in right now. And as I explained it in the, uh, the introductions, just with a lot of stuff going on for me professionally, with all the stuff going on in the world and the anxiety always maybe being there a bit in the background, it kind of, they, they may be stack on top of each other and one of them all of a sudden becomes worse than it might have been. Mm. Um, But that moves nicely into um, what we can do uh, in the first steps. So not necessarily, you know, big picture, how we prevent it, but when we're starting to feel that way, and this is a conversation you have with me and it's not a conversation we have together because I'm told what to do very Hmm. lovingly. Um, Guided. Yes. Um, She's staring at me right now and it's scary. what are the first steps people should take when they're starting to feel maybe burned out as, as you described, or even if they're, they're just thinking about the fact that, you know, burnout is a real thing. 
I think one of the most important first steps is to just talk about it, right? Talk about it with somebody who's, you know, aware of your situation and aware of, you know, whatever the work is that you're doing, um, you know, whether it's advocacy work or whether it is caregiving or or um, any other role, you know, somebody who has that context and can really understand. Because I think one of the first, one of the big things that we don't do enough of is, you know, being able to sort of verbalize how we're feeling to somebody, Um makes us sort of think about it in different ways, which can help us sort of put it into a context that we can deal with better. Um, but we don't do that because we're ashamed or we're embarrassed or we're worried, right? Like that'll make it sound like I'm not doing a good job. Like, um, you know, like we all work really hard to present this image of, you know, we've got everything together and we've, we're on top of the ball and nothing gets by us and we're cool as cucumbers. And I think realistically for a lot of us, that's not the case. And I don't think that, um, you know, we that pretending really does us any favors. I think it's something that we need to be able to talk to each other about. We need to be able to um, be honest about. And and a lot of the time, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't say anything because then you sort of have to look for a solution, right? Like it's mm-hmm. if I acknowledge it, then now I have to deal with it. But um, but I guess that's the point of it being a first step, right? So being able to talk about it, being able to um, just kind of roll it around in your mind to be able to make it into words that are spoken to someone is a big part of a process of dealing with it, really. So it kind of hits a couple different checkpoints. So I think that's the first thing we should do is just talk about it. And I think that's true of most mental health yeah. Um, yeah. and otherwise health issues is to talk about them and get them out there. Yeah. Um, one of the things you've talked a lot about um, with me and through other presentations I've heard you do over the years is, uh, two, two parts. One is the walking away, which is the one that mm. is for me, I think the hardest parts and, and, uh, some listeners and followers in social media know I'll, I'll have brilliant ideas at 1230 in the morning on how to actually solve all of the wildlife conflict in the world. If people just read my internet comments, mm-hmm. um, and then the other component of that is finding outlets. Um, mm-hmm. Those are sort of the two, I think, parts that come up the most and maybe the ones that should be focused on here. So let's let's start with the first one. Um, and that's, you know, uh, everyone on the internet is wrong, but I'm right and I'll prove it. How do we walk away? Because uh, for mm-hmm. me, I think it's, it's sort of a very specific thing. For a lot of people who are maybe in wildlife rehab, in veterinary care, uh, in caregiving, it's not always necessarily as physical, like I can walk away from the computer and be removed from it. But for a lot of people, that's not possible. And I think that that is something that, you know, we, it relies on insight, right? And knowing yourself and knowing what your limits are and knowing when you're getting close to them. So, I mean, that kind of, you have to kind of backtrack and say, okay, well, um, when, when do I walk away is, is often the question that I think comes up from that. It's like, okay, well, we know that walking away is good if we're overwhelmed, but when is that, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we define that? Um, so I often, you know, I'll sort of encourage people to kind of check in with, with themselves, you know, and we talk about, you know, checking in, in your different areas. So how am I doing physically? How am I doing emotionally? How am I doing mentally and spiritually and all of those things? So, You know, and I mean, if you can really sort of separate that out, and that's a skill that you kind of have to practice a little bit, right? But I think that it's something that, you know, once we practice and once we have that skill, then we'll know when we're sort of getting close to our our threshold of how much I can deal with and how much I can manage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously a good... 
to take your example, a good one is, you know, if I'm staying up later than I thought I would, that's like checkpoint number one, right? So looking at, you know, your physical health, literally in your sleep patterns, that's one way to look at it. But I think, you know, I mean, and then it's the how afterwards, right? The how to walk away. So know how much you can sort of not, saying can handle is sort of not the best way to put it, but how much you feel comfortable managing, I guess, in a certain moment. And then giving yourself sort of time increments saying, you know what, like, I'm going to just step back for five minutes, right? Instead of reacting to something, I'm going to respond. So I'm going to give myself time to think about it and to come back. Um, And then in that time that you've given yourself, you may decide that it's really not worth my mental energy to come back at all. Um, Especially with regards to comments on the internet, right? Like, I mean, it's... It's not something that we have a lot of efficacy in terms of changing people's opinion (laughs) when we're arguing with them over the internet, right? Because we talked about, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about different methods of advocacy. And um, I think, I don't know if, if you've shared this, you know, globally, but looking at the the studies that show that, you know, the more you push somebody, mm. the more they are likely to stand their ground. And the blowback effect. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I mean, so you're giving yourself just a timeout, not necessarily a walk away, but a timeout gives you a chance to be like, oh yeah, like I remember that that's a thing, right? That if I push somebody, it just makes them stand firmer. Um, and, you know, am I going to change this person's mind? Am I going to, you know, be able to elicit any change or, you know, is this just taking an emotional toll on me that maybe I can't afford? And so giving yourself that moment though, that separation gives you a a minute to do that. A minute to kind of have that conversation with yourself and say, how much am I willing to pay for this? That's, that's uh, I think, a very good way of looking at it. And the other part of this I wanted to talk about was finding the outlets. Um, and the, we talked about this before we started the interview. One of the reasons it's kind of amusing is right now we're surrounded by dogs. Uh, ordinarily, uh, uh, I do these interviews when Kate is not home and the dogs ignore me. But since she's home, they're all paying a lot of attention and they're digging and licking and scratching things. Um, and for us, obviously, one of our outlets for both of us is time with our dogs. But... Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of general, the, the importance of outlets, and then we can talk about uh, why we have pigeons smiling on this week's episode art. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, having things that bring you joy is really a need. It's a mental health need. And, and, um, we do something at work called the 16 guidelines, which is actually a really cool program. If anybody wants to kind of look into it. Um, and our guideline for this week is delight. 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 And so finding delight in life and finding delight in every day. Um, the the reading sort of, we do a li- like a little, sounds kind of religious. But, it does. Um, but it's not. It's more like um, the tenets of mindfulness, basically. So okay. we're looking at, so we basically we read the, the reading or the passage, which is, I don't know, that's, I can't think of a non-religious way to say that, but... Um, the writing, maybe? I don't no, know. That's, that's not, not helpful. Um, so it basically talks about how, you know, there are always things that when we think about delight, we can think about, you know, I feel delight when I am with my family, you know, when I'm sinking into a hot bath, when, 
you know, I'm digging into an ice cream cone, like all that stuff, right? And so what this sort of tenant has sort of tasked tasked us with, that's a tough one, um, is to look for, you know, delight in everyday things and delight in in everyday occurrences and and to try and share that and spread it um, across as much as we can. And so um, just in terms of having those things in our lives that we have delight over. So, I mean, that's sort of another aspect of mindfulness is just looking at things, you know, with a very sort of different lens, right? And so I think it's easy to say, you know, have these outlets, you know, go for walks, draw the picture, color the picture, you know, um, play with dogs, play with cats, hamsters, rabbits, you know, I mean, all of those things are great. Um, But I think it's also trying to find little things that delight you in Mm -hmm. every day. And, you know, little, that first sip of coffee, like really sort of, you know, acknowledging that and and reveling in it for a second longer than you might so stuff like that like the little stuff that we kind of take for granted right like those things can be very therapeutic um but we just we don't kind of harness that moment does that make sense i mean it does and i think it is important to pursue hobbies and pursue you know i mean i can't draw stick people so that would be incredibly frustrating for me but I think, you know, I mean, if that is something, I know lots of people that love, you know, painting and drawing and artwork in general. And I think that that's, you know, that's their outlet and that's lovely and wonderful. And they should definitely, we need to make that a priority. Um, But I think it doesn't necessarily have to be that defined and that big because I'll have people say to me, well, I don't have a dog. I can't have a dog. I'm allergic and I hate painting. Right. And so, and all these things like, uh, you know, I don't want to go for walks. My feet hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'm in a wheelchair or whatever. And I think that it's one of those things where we have to look at what is my individual situation and where can I find the moments where I can give myself an outlet. So it might not be all of these things that we fall back on. We always say, have a bath, make a tea, go for a walk, play with a dog. I mean, those things are easy to say, but not necessarily applicable to everyone. So you know, I mean, it takes really, again, a lot of that insight into how much can I work into my daily schedule and how much can I work into my routine, things that I find delightful. When it's, when you say delight, the first thing in my head is pizza delight and that old jingle. Uh, I feel like pizza tonight. Do you remember that one? Mm, no, but I feel like pizza is delightful. We should have pizza for dinner. Um, I mean, like the uh, cauliflower looked good, but... Oh, we're, we're having cauliflower. About, yeah, but we're talking about pizza, so I feel that we should really own the delight. All right. Well, I can call it pizza if you want, but we're eating cauliflower. <laughs> Domestic bliss. Now, one of the things I think is really important, though, for me personally, uh, I use that picture of Pigeon. Um, Pigeon's one of our dogs. Uh, he's one of the, the one blue eye and the one brown eye. And he was a uh, twice return, or he was surrendered, then returned yep. to the society. No, he was society. surrendered, adopted, returned, and then we adopted. Yeah. Um, and he is a dog who just loves to play. Uh, it's fetch. He does the wee poles. He does the jumps, the whole bit. And that picture of him was, it was a super muddy day in winter last year, I think. And when he's exercising like that, he shows the light. He just looks happy. And mm-hmm. as you're speaking about the light, you're holding <laughs> pigeon and he looks like a toddler worming around, um, because he, he wants to go play with all of the things. Yes. Um, and that's where I've had to start and stop again and start and stop again because he dropped four toys in a row. But 
Um, it brings me like, cause he's warming up now. He's now he's licking your face. He says and that's just, an exaggeration. Yes. Um, but he just, he, for me, just watching him brings joy. It's just, it's just that little minute of just pure fun and happy mm. and just sort of accepting that for what it is and enjoying it and then moving on and remembering it when mm-hmm. I need to. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think, you know, I mean, most people that are going to be listening to this are animal lovers and I think they really bring out such a great element of our personality and our history, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are animals. We are, you know, come from the same stuff that they do. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we all go back to dust. And I think it kind of, you know, it, it really puts things into context in that, you know, just having that that very simple animal awareness and living in the moment. I mean, nobody lives in the moment as much as dogs do. And so yeah. it's, it's like I always say, like I learn from them and, and they're constantly teaching me and it's sort of, you know, it's refreshing to kind of have, you know, I mean, it's frustrating on my end because sometimes, you know, they will have, they'll be sore or they'll be tired and they'll still want to go. And I'll think, gosh, guys, like, just take it easy, you know, mm-hmm. like, you need a minute, you need a day to just relax. But to them, that joy in the moment is what it's all about. And it doesn't matter. Like, I'll deal with being tired later. I'll deal yeah. with being sore later. Um, that's a problem for later. And so, in a way, like, that's really motivational. And it's really, um, really humbling that, you know, they are always able to put aside whatever's happening to be able to have that moment of delight and that moment of joy. And, and I think that, you know, we, we can learn from that and we can take that and sort of apply it to our own lives. And that would help with burnout significantly if we're able to just find those moments of where you take a breath, you take a breather and you just kind of reset and mm-hmm. go back. Um, or never stop going the way uh, Pigeon does. One of the things that I think is very difficult to talk about, uh, and I've come across this in my personal experience dealing with doctors and with healthcare professionals, is explaining how I'm feeling and being heard uh, as a patient. Um, And this is a note that I made I really want to cover off is when you go to a doctor, when you go to a counselor, when you go to a therapist, whomever you're going to, to seek advice on something like this, what should we keep in mind to best communicate how we're feeling uh, so that we also then get the best treatment back. I think um, I think that what I would say to that is really have a good idea of what you're going to say going in. I think we rely on doctors and professionals to ask the right questions and to prod us where we need prodding and all of those things. And I think that that often can lead to disappointment because doctors and counselors are not mind readers um, as much as we like to pretend. I'm not a doctor. That sounded presumptuous I am but anyways um but yeah so I mean we can only we as sort of you know healthcare providers we'll we'll use that um we can only really help people with the concerns that are brought to us and Mm -hmm. so um just taking a few moments and if you have to write it down I mean write down you know I'm feeling this way this is what triggers me to feel this way um these are potential solutions that I've thought of you know do you have any suggestions I mean have an idea I think we all need to be our own advocates in terms of healthcare. um people all the time will complain that you know somebody won't listen or or um or those sorts of things because we also have to keep in mind that 
we are working under a time limit and family doctors can sometimes see, you know, 20 to 30 people a day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to really make good use of that time. And so having that sort of conversation in your mind ahead of time, writing down your bullet points gives you that sort of efficacy. It gives you that, um, that sense of, you know, making good use of that time and really getting your important points across so that you're not leaving the office or, um, the building and saying, Oh, geez, I didn't mention this. And I meant to tell him about that. And, you know, that day on the bus when I had that really hard time and, Oh, I didn't, that didn't even come up. You know, I mean, we all have those things of like, I wish I'd said it. So just having a bit of preparation prior to going into that appointment And keeping in mind that, you know, I mean, I think people have what we call white coat syndrome and doctors make them nervous and all that kind of stuff. But remembering that these are people that are providing a service, right? And so they're offering the service and it's up to us to make good use of it um, and to use time appropriately. And so I think that having that just, you know, a little bit of preparation makes a huge difference. To wrap up, I wanted to talk about talking about burnout. And you mentioned this when we first started that we need to talk about, and that's a really important first step. And I feel that's a very important first step when we talk about how we're feeling and how we're going to find help. Mm. But, and this, this is, uh, as you know, and as the audience probably knows by now, one of my big pet peeves when talking about mental health is the number of times people say we need to talk about mental health and then don't actually talk about mental Mm. health. They talk about the need to talk about mental health. They talk about talking. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so when we're talking about burnout and again, you know, not everyone's going to be comfortable coming out and saying, this is how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. How do we bridge that gap from sort of people knowing the term, knowing it's out there mm-hmm. and maybe at the end of a day, long day thinking, oh, I'm burned out. And the next day they wake up feeling okay and forget about it. Mm-hmm. How do we go from there to having just earnest conversations, whether it's within our, our social group, our family, um, or within, you know, in the case of the Furbers, a relatively large organization uh, among staff and volunteers. Mm-hmm. What are the, the steps we can take as individuals to make that more accessible? Well, I think it's kind of, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you want to normalize it because it's something that a lot of us will feel sometime through our careers. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to overuse the word burnout and so that it loses its meaning. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we all will say, oh, my gosh, I'm so burnt out. And, like, you don't even think about it, right? Like, you're just saying words. And so um, for somebody who is really feeling like they're in a crisis with their state of burnout, that sort of waters it down. And that's unfortunate. And I think, you know, so we kind of have to keep in mind both things. Um, But I think we need to sort of have maybe regular check-ins. Maybe that's something that with regards to an organization you know, we talk about, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how burnt out do you feel today? Um, and talk about why and talk about what goes into it, right? And sort of, I think it's not like, are you burnt out or not? I think it's sort of the, there are steps leading up to it that feel the same. So I think, you know, talking about those steps leading up to it, as I said, I mean, first step, right? And so, normalizing the conversation while still giving reverence to the thing you're talking about, I think is the most important part. So, but being, I mean, at the end of the day, it just comes down to people's need to be able to speak their needs and speak their truths and be able to say, you know what, like I'm struggling. And I know that we all know that that's hard, right? We all struggle with that. Um, But to be able to say that, you know, I need help with this and, 
I can't do this by myself. And we all know that, right? Sometimes I find that when, and it's this sort of sounds a little bit harsh, but what I've found with with regards to counseling is giving you some motivation for that. So if you're not confident enough to do that for yourself, think about the work that you're doing, right? And wanting to be the most effective advocate that you can be. And so in order to do that, you need to manage burnout. And so if not for yourself, ask for help for the animals that you're helping, right? Like if you don't feel strong enough in being able to say, you know, I need this and and I feel this way, find that strength with the work that you're doing, right? It, it can kind of work both ways, right? It can sort of lead you to burnout and help you get out of it. And I think that that's, that's really the ultimate, you know, that we're trying to do is try to find ways to be able to do this work and not have it cripple us. Please contact your family doctor if you're feeling overwhelmed or in need of help. And if you're having suicide thoughts or worried that you may hurt yourself or others, contact suicideprevention.ca in Canada or suicidepreventionlifeline.org in the United States to find a crisis line or visit a nearby hospital. That's the show for this week, folks. I want to thank Kate for taking the time to talk about this important issue with me again and to let you know that we have a compassion fatigue webinar that will be coming up later this month in which you can ask questions and join in discussion about solutions. More will be coming up about that soon. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.